Most of you, uh, a lot of you, participate in the adult Bible classes that uh, we offer here at Northside an hour before we begin worship. Some of you may not and may not know about that, but uh, a great way to learn more about the Bible and fellowship with uh, a group of folks that are about your age. And uh, right now we're going through an excellent study of the book of Matthew. Some of the things in the sermon this morning may remind you or reinforce some of the things you studied this morning from Matthew 25 in class. Uh, but I want to talk about today's class. I want to talk about last week's class, in my class anyway. Uh, our teacher, uh, Brother Derek, asked a question. He asked the question, uh, and here's the question, which motivates you more? And he only gave us two options, heaven or hell. He said, which one motivates you more in your life, in your behavior, in the way you do things, the way you think? Are you more motivated by the promise of heaven, the joys of heaven, the looking forward to heaven? Or are you more motivated by the fear of hell? And the class had some different answers to that, and we discussed it a little while. Uh, We didn't take a vote. One comment was that it probably changes a little bit as we mature. Uh, We probably start out a little more fearful of hell, makes us do things and behave a certain way, and eventually we get where we're looking forward to heaven, and that motivates us a little more. But anyhow, we discussed it, and uh, I don't know how many of you in my class thought about it when the class was over, but I kept coming back to that question. I kept thinking, what does motivate people more? And I decided that, well, you really can't answer that question if you don't know much about heaven or hell. And from our experience with Know Your Bible, I know that a lot of people don't know much of anything about heaven or hell. We get lots of questions, lots and lots of questions about the afterlife and what happens after death and and all of that and what's heaven going to be like and will we know this and will we do this. and So it's an interesting topic that we don't talk about a whole lot. We get questions about all aspects of the afterlife. What about death? Between death and the judgment, what's the judgment going to be like? What's the resurrection going to be like? And I don't have time to talk about all that. And I don't know the answers to a lot of it. So I just want to confine our discussion this morning and limit it to the time when we are in heaven or hell. After the judgment. After that time when the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and time shall be no more, and he has assigned us to one of the two places, what about those places? That's what I want to try to discuss this morning, and uh, all the things I tell you are going to be straight from the Bible, so that limits me somewhat. I've got lots of guesses and lots of opinions and, and lots of maybe it'll be like this, but we're going to stick to the Bible this morning. And we're going to look at a lot of verses, and I'm going to say things from a lot of verses that I don't have time to give you all the Scripture. I put a lot of the Scriptures on your handout so you can look them up and 
find almost everything that I'm going to say, but there's a few others that I didn't get in there. But it's all from the Bible. Let's start with heaven. The most frequent description of heaven is it's described as glory. Now, it's described as glory indescribable, but it's described as glory. And we'll talk about glory in, a while, in just a second, but I imagine some of you are hung up on another part of that slide. How can I describe, what do I mean by it's described as indescribable? Well, here's the verse that explains that. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9 said, What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, that's the things that God has prepared for those who love him. Now that's how God described it through Paul. He described it as indescribable. Think about that. How can I describe to you something that you've never seen, nobody's ever seen, nobody's ever heard it, and nobody's ever even thought of it? That'd be hard to describe, folks. That's explaining something that's unexplainable to the human mind. Well, that's what the Bible says, but when it says that, it almost always, or when it talks about heaven, it almost always talks about glory. So what's glory? Let's think about that for just a moment before we get into exactly what heaven and hell will be like. First Thessalonians 2.12 says, Walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and his own glory. And that's not the only verse that talks like that. The Bible's just full of verses that talk about glory. Our songs are full of things that talk about glory. But our joy can't compare with the glory up there, we sing. We sing, when with the Savior we enter the glory land. We sing, oh yes, I'll live in glory by and by. Well, the Greek word for glory means inherent only in the nature of God. The totality of his greatness and the majesty of all his perfection. And if you don't understand that, welcome to the human race. We don't understand that. We don't understand his glory. But when the Bible talks about heaven, it uses that term over and over again. That's the most frequent way it's described. Ephesians 1.18 says, heaven is glory. Colossians 1.27 says, Christians are filled with the hope of glory. It says, we'll have bodies of glory. It says, we'll have crowns of glory. It says, the new Jerusalem is the glory of God. So it's something beyond what we can understand but it's a good way to think about it, because it, whatever we think, it's going to be more than that. Glory indescribable. Now, people ask, what will heaven be like? You know, we'll really have gold streets. 
You know, is there really a crystal river going through the middle of heaven? And I thought about talking about some of that and seeing what the Bible said about it. And then I, it occurred to me that, you know, the decor up there is going to be the last thing we notice. I really think we won't worry about that too much. I think we'll think more of the glory in a lot of different ways, and I picked out three to talk about this morning. First of all, there is a physical glory that will happen in heaven. We are used to this earth. We're used to human bodies. We're used to physical frailties. In heaven, there will be a physical glory. We'll have a resurrected body, but everything else about it will be glorious physically. The Bible says there will be no darkness. The Bible says there will be no night. It says there will be no hunger. There will be no thirst. There will be no pain. There will be no tears. There will be no death. All the things that give us troubles physically. It won't be there. We'll have a physical glory. And I think it's deeper than we sometimes think. We usually just say, well, there'll be no pain there. There'll be no tears. Okay. Romans chapter 8 and verse 21 has an interesting thought. It says, the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and brought into Glorious freedom. All of creation is in bondage right now. We do have darkness and night and hunger and thirst and pain and tears and death. And Paul said in Romans 8.21 that the entire creation is going to be freed from that into glorious freedom. And in verse 22, he said the creation has been groaning to get out of the state that it's in. There's going to be a physical change that is indescribable, but it's going to be glorious. There's a lady named Joni Erickson. Joni Erickson Tata, some of you know, listen to her music. I looked up some things about her this week. I found out she's almost exactly the same age as me. She's much more talented than I. She sings, records. She paints and sells her paintings. She's written about 40 books. And when she paints and when she writes those books, she does so with a brush or a pen in her mouth because she spent the last 50 years in a wheelchair. When she was a young girl, she dove into a a lake and broke her spine and has been a quadriplegic ever since. Here's what Joni Erickson said. I have hope in the future. The Bible speaks about bodies being glorified. And I know the meaning of that. It's the time after my death here when I, the quadriplegic, will be on my feet dancing. We understand the physical glory in some way. And sometimes we talk more about our physical problems. Well, he's freed from his pain now. He's not suffering anymore and all that. But how many of our troubles here on earth are, are mental, emotional? Lots. Lots of people are 
physically healthy, but struggle. There is a mental glory also in heaven. The Bible says there won't be any sorrow. A lot of people have horrible things happen in their life and their family and disasters and tragedies, and they're sorry the rest of their life. There'll be no sorrow in heaven. There'll be no mourning. There'll be no tears. No bad memories, Isaiah said. The old things won't be remembered. There'll be a rest, and not necessarily rest from physical work. Rest from the the stress of living in this world. Some people look at that list and they ask, how? Well, how can that be? I mean, how can I be not sad if I don't see so-and-so there? And how can there be no tears if I remember this and all that? I'm not worried about it, folks. I think that's one of the benefits of heaven. I don't have to worry about it. But I'm not worried about it. My reasoning is the one who designed the human brain, the one who designed it can glorify it however he wants. If he wants to glorify our brain where there aren't any bad memories, where there's no sorrow or mourning or tears, he can do that just fine and he promises he will in heaven. There is also a spiritual glory. The the spiritual glory is beyond the physical and mental, I think. Some of our best times, you young people, most of you are going to go to teen camp here in a little while. And what happens on the mountaintop? The time away from earthly things and together with brothers and sisters, and together with God will be one of your best memories. you remember that when you're an old man, an old woman. You'll think about that special time with God. Well, our time with God now is hindered by, by sin and time and busyness. and There are so many things that keep us away from God. In heaven, we'll be in the presence of God. The mountaintop experience will never end. We'll see him face to face, the Bible says. There'll be no sin there. And sometimes we kind of pass over that, but think of how much in this world sin devastates things. There'll be no sin there. Our spirits will be completely sanctified. There'll be no flesh there. We're going to have spiritual bodies, not fleshly bodies. But however you think about flesh or carnal or any of that stuff, there won't be any. All residues of that will be gone. Spiritually, we're going to be together with all of God's saints. Some of you may be introverted and like me and not really want to be around a whole bunch of people, but you're going to have to meet 144,000 plus a multitude that you can't count. And a lot of those folks are going to be pretty interesting. Moses is first on my list. I figure there will be a line for Jesus, so I'll wait for him a little later. 
I want to talk to Moses. I want to ask him about some of that stuff. We'll get to do that. All the saints will be there. And not just the famous ones in the Bible, all the famous ones in your life. All of our stored treasures will be there. And that doesn't go back in the physical part. That's not the gold and silver. Our stored treasures are spiritual because that's the only thing we can send ahead to heaven. And all of our stored treasures will be there. Sometimes when I'm talking about know your Bible with you, I talk about the fact that Northsiders are going to be kind of popular in heaven. Because there's going to be so many people that we don't even know about that are going to come up to us and say, you from Northside? I want to thank you for putting on Know Your Bible because I'm here because of Know Your Bible. That's a stored treasure. I don't know how many there's going to be. But there's going to be some of those and the rest of you have stored treasures in all different ways. Just think, if he tarries for another thousand years, I mean, one of our treasures is our kids and grandkids, right? Just think, if he tarries another thousand years, that's 20 plus generations. And how many will be there because of what you've lived your life like? We'll meet a lot of stored treasures. All right. I've talked about it a little bit, but I haven't described the glory of heaven. I hope, though, I have got across the point that it's more than a gold mansion that's silver lined. That'll be nice, but heaven's a whole lot more than that. Now, he gave us the question, I said. He only gave us two options. The other option is not so pleasant to talk about. Hell is described as as torment unimaginable. It's not pleasant to talk about, but Jesus did. Jesus talked about it a lot. Jesus talked about hell more than he talked about heaven. Somebody's taken the time to count, and supposedly about half of his parables were about hell and punishment and the judgment. Somebody's counted up all the verses that Jesus spoke in. I guess you just got to count the red ones. That's easy. But somebody did that, and about 13% of those are about hell and the judgment. Jesus spent a lot of time talking about it, and we don't talk about it very much at all. And I chose the word torment as opposed to the word glory for heaven. Because every time he talked about it, that's the kind of things he said. He talked about weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. Torment's a pretty good word for that. I picked out a few things to describe that torment that the Bible says. Let's start with the fact that the very name of hell is awful. Some of you know that when Jesus said hell, he said Gehenna. The Valley of Hinnom, a place that the Jews knew about. Because back in the time of King Ahaz and King Manasseh, you can read about it in Jeremiah, the scripture I gave you there. During those periods, the kings allowed child sacrifice. And they sacrificed their children to foreign gods out in this Valley of Hinnom. And because of it, God cursed the Valley of Hinnom. And it turned into a horrible place. 
And by the time Jesus came along, it was south of Jerusalem, and by the time he was there, it was a garbage dump. It was a place of open graves. They took the carcasses of dead animals and threw them in there. They took the carcasses of criminals and threw them in there. And the fire burned continually in this place. A horrible, horrible, awful thought. And Jesus, that's how he referred to hell. That's like the Valley of Hinnom. But Jesus also described hell as a place where the worm never dies. I don't think he was talking about night crawlers. With the idea of Gehenna in mind, a place of rotting corpses. There'll be a lot of maggots there. And, and not necessarily the kind of worm that he was talking about is important, but he's referring to a place of decay, a place of rot. And his important part is he said they never die. It just goes on and on. Jesus also spoke of it as an unquenchable fire. The Bible's full of that. The furnace of fire, the lake of fire, the fire and brimstone. And I know it's similar to the valley of Hinnom, perhaps, but God's wrath is a consuming fire, the Bible says. Jesus also spoke of it as a dark place. He mentioned over and over again people being put into outer darkness, people being put into black darkness. Remember, one of the plagues on Egypt was a thick darkness. So dark you couldn't see anything. That's the way Jesus describes hell. A place of outer darkness. It may, maybe he's just saying it's the opposite of heaven. There'll be no night in heaven. It's a place of light where the sun is the light. Paul said in 2 Thessalonians 1.9, the wicked will pay the penalty of eternal destruction. Away, here's how he described it, away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. How Paul choose to describe hell? He doesn't mention fire and worms and garbage and, and all that. He says you'll be away from the Lord. You'll be away from the glory of his presence. Maybe the worst thought about hell. So hell's described that way in the Bible. And a lot of people ask, is all that literal? I mean, is it really going to be that? Some of them say, well, it can't be. You know, you can't have fire and darkness at the same time. Well... And dark fire if you're God. <laughs> you can do what you want. But is it literal? Is it figurative? Is it really going to be like that? And some people come up with all sorts of explanations. Well, the worm, that, that's man's conscience. And his conscience is going to continually gnaw at him and nag at him. But they're not going to be real worms there. And the fire, they're not going to be real fire. That's, that's just a, a burning in your heart. For missing God. I don't know if it's literal or figurative. I do know this. Whatever it is, whatever, how symbolic it is, how figurative it is, however literal it is, 
it's going to be worse than the symbols. If it's indescribable, if it's unimaginable, then he described it as best he could to our minds. But it's going to be worse than that. And heaven is going to be better than the gold and the jewels that he'd used to describe it. Heaven and hell are total opposites from what I've told you so far. But they've also got some things in common. Let me tell you two of them. Whatever images you have of heaven and hell, either before I've talked about this or what we've looked at, whatever images you have, be assured that both are real and eternal. Heaven's a lot different than hell. Hell's a lot different than heaven. But both of them have this in common. They are real and they are eternal. Jesus and we don't need much other authority, Jesus clearly believed that they were real places. That's the way he talked about it. Scripture that he was read for you this morning. He didn't say, when you die, you're going to have a nice state of mind somewhere. He didn't say you're going to go into oblivion. What he said was, I'm going away, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. A place that you can come and be with me. Jesus thinks heaven's a real place. And when he talked about hell, he said the same thing. There's going to be a place where the wicked will go. Every writer in the Bible talked about heaven and hell as real places. There's no doubt about that. Now, you hear some people talk about, well, it's just the state of mind, it's this, it's that, it's whatever. Any questions that you hear about the reality of heaven or hell come from folks who hope that there's no final reckoning. It's a lot better than believing what I've told you this morning to come up with a theory that, well, that's not really real. But the Bible's very clear. Heaven and hell are real. The Bible's also very clear that heaven and hell are eternal. From the Old Testament through the New Testament, everything that you read about heaven or hell uses those terms. Everlasting, eternal, forever. They are both real and eternal. Well, I've told you what I can about heaven or hell in the time that we have. And I may have given a few of my own opinions along the way, but everything that I've stated as fact, I want you to know this. Everything that I've stated as fact this morning is directly from the Bible. I gave you most of the scriptures. I'll give you the other ones if you want to know where that came from. It's all straight from the Bible. That's the way the Bible talks about heaven or hell. The way it describes them. And some of it we can debate all day. We can wonder all day, well, is it 24 karat gold or 23 karat gold? What kind of gold? Is it white gold or yellow gold on the streets? You know, we can wonder about that stuff. We can discuss it if we've got plenty of time. But don't get lost in that. Don't ever lose sight of the fact that the Bible describes two eternal outcomes just the way the Bible talks about it. There's two eternal outcomes 
to life, and they're very, very different. One is indescribably wonderful. It's a place of glory. And one is unimaginably horrible. It's a place of torment. It matters not how literal or figurative, or or does this mean that, or this mean that. They're so different, that's all you need to know. And that's the way the Bible talks about it. Chapter that you've studied in adult classes this morning, Matthew 25, the last part of that, Jesus is describing the judgment. He had told a few parables, and now he gets around to describing what the judgment's going to be like, and he gives a pretty distinct account of it. He says, here's what's going to happen. He wasn't telling a parable. He was telling how it's going to happen. And if you were in class, you know that the first thing he did at the judgment is divide people into two groups. The Bible does a whole lot of that. Black and white, good and evil, wicked and righteous. And when it comes judgment day, that's where he makes the division into two groups. And he'll do it absolutely perfectly. We don't have to worry about that. He knows, and he'll get it right. But I want to share three verses with you from that story. First, Jesus said this, To one group he will say, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. To the other group he will say, verse 41, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And then he explains their destinies in verse 46. He says, Then they, the one group, will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous will go to eternal life. Tonight at 6 o'clock, we're going to talk about some more about heaven or hell. You may think you know all you need to know about heaven or hell. What I've talked about this morning is very important, but I don't know if it's the most important. I think the most important is who's going to be there. And we'll talk about that tonight. Who will be there? And you may think you've got it figured out. Let me tell you something. Jesus said there's going to be some surprises. Jesus said there's going to be arguments. When he divides the group, some each group are going to say, hold it now. Hold it. That's not right. They thought they had it figured out. So we're going to look at the Bible again tonight and see if we can figure out who will be in heaven and who will be in hell. Come back and we'll talk about that, and I think we'll have enough time to cover a few of the frequently asked questions that people come up with when we talk about heaven or hell. We'll run through some of those and try to wrap up our study tonight. All right, I've told you a little bit about heaven and hell. Which motivates you the more? I don't know. And really, which motivates us in our Christian life and our decisions is... Not the most important thing. The story is told of Dr. Albert Einstein, who, as a great scientist and great mind, one of those smart people that are 
kind of preoccupied with other things than mundane things of this world. A little absent-minded, perhaps, we'd describe him. Story goes he was on a train one time going to a speaking engagement. The conductor came by to punch his ticket. And Dr. Einstein started searching through his coat pockets, and then he went through his briefcase, and he couldn't find it. Couldn't find his ticket. He was embarrassed and tried to explain that he didn't know where it was. He'd find it. And the conductor said, it's all right, Dr. Einstein. So it's all right. I know who you are. I'm sure you bought a ticket. Don't worry about it. It'll be okay. And so he went on down the car, taking other people's tickets. And when he got ready to go into the next car, he looked back over his shoulder, and he was surprised to see Dr. Einstein down on his hands and knees, digging around under the seats and all over the car. So he went back to him, and he said, Dr. Einstein, I told you don't worry about it. It's okay. I know who you are. And Dr. Einstein looked at him and said, I too know who I am. What I don't know is where I'm going. <laughs> well, that's not so important on a train. Pretty important in life. There's nothing more important than knowing where you're going. I've given you the two options this morning. And I know that most of this crowd, most of the ones in this room are confident about where we're going. We can hardly wait for the roll to be called up yonder so we can fly away, so we can find that mansion over the hilltop. But there's some here this morning that aren't that confident, that don't know where they're going. We'd love to help you. We'd love to study the Bible with you if you need to know more about it. Maybe you've studied enough and know enough that you're ready to make a decision and change your destination to the one that's glory. If you need to make some decision or some public request to this family, we're going to sing a song and let you come to the front. Let's stand and sing.